are some gumshoe you just don't think we'll get this dumb gumshoe you come from my inkwell is your mouth lonely with one foot in there stone your brain only holds thoughts i put in there just what you are i'll spell out you are a novel pain one speck of lint that fell out the last time that i picked my brain you are so jealous of my track record tolstoy do tell us your feeble hack record your weak knees brand new soft and unstable one small threat and you'll fold like a card table you at my adventures your broads in bed are bored thank you baby go home and soak your dentures your pen is no match for my sword yeah i said it you're nothing hello and welcome to broadway radios this week on broadway for sunday june 6th 2021 my name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today, we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Encore Magazine, Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Hello. And uh, what is new and exciting over at Manhattan Plaza? Uh, well, actually, I, last night I went to uh, one of the two theaters closest to me, uh, literally a one-minute walk <laughs> uh, to the um, uh, well. To the, one of the theaters that's closest to me is Signature, but the other one is the uh, the Green Room Forty Two at the Yotel, and I went there to see Nicholas King do his fabulous show. Uh, Nicholas was a guest on our podcast a few weeks ago, and he just did an, a really, really terrific show with. Three amazing musicians, Mike Renzi on piano, um, Steve Doyle on bass, and um, uh, Ray Marchica on drums. And the whole thing was just great. And it was a fabulously packed yet socially distant crowd. Uh, That room is great for that because it's a very large room. So they're able to have quite a few people and yet have people not on top of one another. So I really appreciated that. And so many highlights, but I think maybe the highlight of all was the opening number. Nicholas took as if we never said goodbye. Uh-huh. He wrote some of the lyrics, just a few mm. of them to reflect the pandemic situation uh-huh. and how much we've all missed mm. being in a room like that mm. for live performance over, over the past year and a half and how wonderful, wonderful it is to be back. So it was a great, great evening. It seems as though that uh, more and more uh, state governments and theaters, in fact, are throwing out the social distancing thing as uh, this week's uh, news that St. Louis Muni has gone back to full 100% capacity. Mm-hmm. They yes. have uh, 87,000 people at each show or something like that. Yeah. Sorry, I'm kidding. You know. <laughs> but but 5,000. 5, I, uh, I think. No, I think it's 11. Eleven thousand? Yeah, I think so. I think. Oh my god. It's the Fox yeah. that's five thousand. Fox in Atlanta is five thousand. So that is uh interesting. So Park Avenue Armory not gonna be holding any cabarets anytime soon. 
So, <laughs> so also with us, uh, joining us from the West Coast on a very early Saturday morning is uh, Nikita Burstein. Nikita is uh, from the Bay Area, and he's uh, talking with us, but also a little bit in the news this week. So this week we heard that uh, your uh, your Romeo and Bernadette is uh is talking about coming to broadway in 2022 that's really exciting news incredibly exciting i i I, what a mother's day gift it was for my mother (laughs) (laughs) excellent so uh you are back on the west coast how did you get from the west coast to the east coast to end up doing romeo and bernadette uh, well, uh, I mean, it, it kind of goes back to, uh, to 2018. Um, I was in my last semester at UC Berkeley, and uh, I was I was in uh, big news came out for an audition process for the uh, uh, the new West Side Story movie, and uh, it, one of my best one of my best friends in, in the Bay Area. Um, who uh, actually, uh, interestingly enough, played my riff in a production of West Side Story that I played out here in the Bay Area, uh, reminded me of this and said, hey, you should you should audition for this thing. And uh, I said, sure. Uh, you know, I, 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 well, at first I thought, you know, it's it's one of those video uh, uh, kind of online audition processes and it doesn't really work i'm all the way in the west coast it's going to be out in the east coast so <laughs> those things don't mm. work I, <laughs> I don't know i don't believe it and he says well why not give it a try you never know so um so i did and next thing you know two weeks later uh you know i get a call back saying they were interested in my tapes and everything all the information i sent to them um you know Long story short, short in terms of that, uh, that got me to New York uh, that June. And then uh, preceding that, I came back and did a, a, a regional production of Oklahoma uh, after that, after kind of that process. And then I came back to, uh, and then I officially moved to um, New York in about September of 2018, and, uh, which, it, you know, which I kind of got to know, you know, started to get to know the area, started to go auditions you know got representation and uh eventually uh in what was in what was i believe 2000 fall of 2019 was the audition process for romeo and bernadette and that's kind of where it all started there yeah but nikita you have to tell the rest of the west side story story (laughs) (laughs) please don't stop (laughs) when i opened that bottle right well it's uh it was interesting i mean i I sent I spent I sent so much material uh, for that film, uh, and I, I was getting out of class one day, and I, I kid you not, I literally dropped my phone because they responded because I really did not expect them to. You know, it's, it's such, such such a large pool <laughs> of people that they would be looking for, and um, it it just followed with you know, constantly, what are your plans for the next two years? And <laughs> what, hmm. uh, what do you see yourself going after you graduate and things like that? And, and I just said, you know, whenever, wherever you see me, uh, <laughs> <laughs> good answer. Um, but it, you know, finally, when you finally, when I finally heard that I was going to be there, that, I mean, the whole process was about, 
about a week, you know, it was a, it was a boot camp of, uh, of a callback process at the New York city ballet. Um, and you know, the, the team was just unbelievable. You had Justin Peck, who was the, uh, he's a resident choreographer for New York city ballet. And just at that, that same year got the, uh, Tony went for, uh, choreography for a uh, carnival carousel. Uh, I'm sorry. My apologies. Yes. Carousel. <laughs> And, uh, and, and then, uh, of course, you know, going in there meeting Janine Tesori, who we all know for, um, you know, fun home and, um, Violet and, uh, you know, being kind of our, our vocal stylist for that project, you know, our vocal teacher for that project, getting us prepared. And, but then finally walk into the room to meet Tony Kushner, you know, just another legend Wow. and, you know, above, above it all getting to meet, uh, Steven Spielberg himself, uh, it, it's, it's kind of a, if hopefully not, but a once in a lifetime opportunity that so many people will, will never have a chance to, to say that they have done. Uh, not, not to mention, you know, singing Maria while he's seven feet away from you, uh, <laughs> recording, you know, filming you for the test screen, um, uh, it, uh for the screen test. It's, uh, it was unbelievable. It, 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 I, I, but I made some uh, some incredible, you know, uh, friendships along the way. You know, I, I was paired up a lot with the young girl who was playing uh, Maria in the film, uh, Rachel Ziegler, and uh, she's she's just incredible. And uh, one of my dearest friends, Antonio Cipriano, who's in Jagged Little Pill on Broadway, and he was uh, doing the trial of it uh, out in. Um, uh, in, in Massachusetts for it at the time. And, uh, one of my, but my dearest friends was, uh, Christian Hopper, who's right now doing the trial or is supposed to be doing the trial on Chicago for the new outsiders musical, uh, which has, you know, currently been delayed, but so, so many great relationships that I developed throughout that process. And, um, yeah, I, I, I cannot be more thankful for it. It's unbelievable. So uh, you got to be in a, in a successful off-Broadway musical, the Romeo and Bernadette, a musical tale of Verona and Brooklyn. And uh, what was that like? Uh, did you, when you first started uh, doing Romeo and Bernadette, did you feel like it had commercial viability? Well, it's interesting. So it, it's, it goes back, the whole process with Romeo and Bernadette goes back even uh, eight months before I even auditioned for the show itself. Cause I went in for an audition for another project that, uh, our producer, Eric, uh, Krebs was a part of. And, uh, you, you know, he, I'm, I'm going in there, you know, I'm going in for this audition and he goes, and he's very honest with me. And he says, uh, Nikita, uh, so you don't fit for this project for sure, but there is a project coming up in eight months that I would think you would be perfect for. <laughs> and he goes, it's, it's called Romeo and Bernadette. And, um, just keep a lookout for this project, please. He says, I, I remember this vividly because come, come, you know, after those eight months pass and I start seeing the calls everywhere for this project, I remember vividly saying, I, I remember this. I remember I was being, I was told about this to keep a lookout for this. And, uh, and, 
And once I went in there, I saw Eric in there in that room again. I was like, yes, this is right. This is the project because there he is again. Um, but you know, it's, it was, unex it, it was unexpected. Everybody said that it was unexpected. It was, it was the little show that could, you know, we had about a, uh, a five week run at the art New York. Um, and, as somebody at one point, I think we were told somebody at, at one point compared us to uh, the new little shop of horrors in the sense hmm. of that, uh, you know, we were, it, it's just this little show that could, that came out of nowhere and had such a high rise success in such a short amount of time. And this five week, we technically originally considered the off, off Broadway run of uh, Romeo and Bernadette that it was, you know, Eric, Eric immediately saw success and, and, and the team that we developed for it, we were just so in sync with one another, uh, developing the show. And it's just so fun developing a show from the ground up. Uh, we were All right. Now the question becomes, this is a show that uses very old music. That's right. Uh, was any of it music that you knew? Uh, other than Santa Lucia? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> which up merely i'd say what half a minute all of it was fairly new to me i i i was told that uh you know i would have to start listening to very old you know early 20th century maybe even late 19th century operatic music mm -hmm. um <laughs> yeah <laughs> and in a way you know we consider ourselves a jukebox musical because mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> sure in a, in a way even though it's you know would you consider 18th 19th mm -hmm. late 19th century opera jukebox music it, when there weren't even jukeboxes yet exactly. right yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly so uh but you know i just started listening to a lot of Pavarotti. uh i i really uh, delved into the shakespearean style uh, especially for my character it was important uh, but uh, it, just developing just a very classical sense for everything uh, on this project. Uh, and, uh, and, and I just, you know, I, I've, I've really grew up, I, I trained in, in classical vocal styling. I, I you know, I've, I've, I've really, uh, I've delved mostly in classical. So it was, it was already a good start for me, but developing this was so much fun. Some of the music in it is is opera, but a lot of it is, I think, either classified as art songs or even popular music of, of the day. Uh, have you found there's a beautiful recording, one of the best numbers in the show? I'm not sure if the title of the song is it called La Familia? Uh, uh, La Familia, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Carlos. Uh, Mar Mark Saltzman, we should mention, did the brilliant new mm -hmm. lyrics. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and that, I think, is one of the best songs in the show. And have you heard Nikita Caruso recorded that original song? It's called uh, Vieni Sul Mar. And he made a great, beautiful recording of that um, that uh, you should track down if you haven't already done I so. Have, I have not. You know, we were seeing so the process of everything, you know, we. Mark did a wonderful job and, and, you know, Mark's lyrics are just, just incredible for this show. It's, it's fluidity. And, and it's, um, it's, it's, 
its beauty and its in intelligence in one way or another. It, it, just the way that he phrases things is so unique. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, he, we, he developed a great list for us to kind of research off of, of all this music that uh, goes on for this show. Um, I was so focused on, on, on my own list uh, that and the and the process for everything was show, so short. I mean, we only had about what a, a three week rehearsal process in and of itself before we were getting into the theater. That we were just we were just go go go. You know, it was um, it was only until you know maybe week two, mid week one, start of week two, that we really started to merge with one another um, on all of this material. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I was so excited. I was so excited because we were going to get more, you know, we had more time to really develop for the second off-Broadway run that we were getting ready for that um, at the, um, on 42nd Street at the, uh, the, the Theater Row. That's right. Uh, is it, was it stage 42? Is that right? Is that where it was yeah. going to be? Yeah, well, we were we were going to be at Theater, yeah, Theater Row, but uh, the, uh, it was I forgot the number, the name of the theater. It was in- <laughs> yeah. Now, now they have numbers. They've they've they've, they've been changing all the, the names of the theaters at Theater Row all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. and and Eric's been working on Theater Row for so many years. Yeah, indeed. Um, you know, a lot of our listeners won't know what Romeo and Bernadette is. So um, it, obviously Romeo and Juliet is an inspiration. So why don't you tell us the similarities and the differences between your musical and Shakespeare's play? So it's a, it, you know, it's a, it's a Romeo and Bernadette, uh, a Romeo and Juliet spoof, uh, you know, musical comedy on, um, you know, it, it's funny the, the whole, the whole story is really about this guy taking out, uh, uh this, this girl on a date for a communicate for a, for a, um, for a, you know, community theater production of Romeo and Juliet. And in order to impress her, he wants to explain to her that that is not really how Romeo and Juliet ended, that um, that it actually, that Romeo does survive. Uh, he just drinks a potion that puts him to sleep for 500 years <laughs> and that he wakes up in 1960s Verona uh, looking for his love again. And that's where, you know, in the middle of Verona, uh, you know, a tourist uh, company walks by and he sees uh, almost a, a reincarnation of uh, his beloved Juliet. And he falls in love with her, believing that she really is Juliet. And he chases her all the way back to Brooklyn, where she's from. And it uh, turns out that she's actually part of a, a, a mafia, a, a daughter of a mafia boss out in Brooklyn. Uh, and and uh, just the comedy unfolds out there, you know this 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 development of you know developing yourself in in, a, in a, what you say is a modern day, but really it's in the 1960s into kind of uh, uh, a, a Jersey um, <laughs> a Jersey boys style uh, you know Italian uh, fella uh, from from someone who's just been so uh, classically and, and and as romantic as Romeo is um, at, at um, uh, wooing the love of his life, here he's developed a kind of a certain. He's trying to learn 
uh, a styling of uh, of wooing a, a, a woman uh, in the 1960s in Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> <laughs> That's always that was so much fun uh, to develop there. But you know, it, it's it's a message about um, it. It's it, it, as much as as it's a comedy spoof on, on that. It's a message about you know love, and it's a message about uh, respecting. Uh, the partner that you love, you know, it, it is it, it imaginary, but whoever it is that in your life that it belongs to you, uh, you know, you believe you are so in love with that you respect that person wholeheartedly uh, that you will do anything for them. And as you, as you are, you know, as you would be to any person you possibly can, you are respectful to the person that you love this complete and total stranger, you know? And, um, it's and in and that this outfit in the end, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if I, I don't want to spoil it because mm-hmm. now that you know, now that we're hopefully you know coming to Broadway, <laughs> it, it, it's uh, you know, it would bring a, a higher following to this show, but that's kind of uh, that's kind of the gist of it. It's a very, very fun concept. All um, right, we just heard the word Broadway without the word off before it, <laughs> so uh, this is going to be a Broadway show now. This is a yes. So, uh, you know, I, I really don't have a lot of information, right, you know, to give, really, other than to say that, you know, Eric Krebs has made an official public announcement that, you know, we are, are moving towards a spring 2022 Broadway run, which is very exciting. And, um, you know, we, we still, there's still in talks of, um, uh, which theater uh, we want to to you know they might want to get um, and the, you know but there's still you know so much time before this potential opening date and and today so you know anything might happen in between that and and it's, and really I don't have a lot of more information other than the fact that this is kind of the the end goal that we are looking at so I'm I'm, I'm I, as as is many of you know people who love the show or uh, fans who love the show uh, might be looking for more information. That's as much as I've got myself. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, have you uh, have have you uh, recorded any of this uh, music? A cast recording, maybe just for uh, press use, if not commercial use, or is there talk about you guys making a cast recording of it? Right. right. Well, we were really we were actually we sent out a public announcement that we were going to make a cast off Broadway cast album in April of, uh, 2020. Oh. We were very excited for, you know, if we're going exactly, you know, where this yeah. is going, yeah. uh, <laughs> but we, we were very excited to go into the studio and, um, we, we really originally wanted to do it. I believe it was a bit earlier it was in, in, in March of 2020. Uh, but honestly, not you know not to mention that we all know what happened of course leading up to that period of time but uh in the in the middle of the run of Romeo and Bernadette uh, I I don't know if you recall but it was it was a tough blue season to begin with um you know we were so many not just our cast members but from what I heard just uh, you know actors uh, uh, understudies for so many Broadway shows were just down and out you know um I remember hearing that every single understudy for the Phantom cast, uh, Phantom and the Opera cast, they were done. They were out. They were so sick. 
they didn't have enough understudies to actually go on for the show at the time. Um, so we were, we were barely holding on, you know, as somebody, we, <laughs> we would get, we would get sick. We get, we try to get back on the horse and we, and we get through the show, but everybody in this private project was so tough and got through it. Hmm. But the, the production company, the, 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 the team wanted to give us a break, wanted us to kind of, to mend and get back on the high horse and, and, uh, <laughs> and get into the, the recording studio in April and, and get that done. But when the new off-break, off-Broadway cast was announced, well, the new transfer was announced, uh, we wanted to wait until we would put that show on the stage again, really feel confident with what we put in the transfer run, and then get into the studio. Of course, everything shut down, and that never happened. <laughs> you uh, Although... Even though the, the show shut down, it did uh, rack up a number of uh, Drama Desk and Out of Critic Circle awards. Uh, yeah. So it it gave it a little bit of momentum to keep moving forward. And here we are with uh, with this uh, announcement. So I hope that uh, as Broadway and everything s- starts to open up, I hope Eric Krebs gets you guys in the studio to make a uh, cast recording of this thing. Uh, I sincerely hope so. And you know, I'm I'm. So proud of, uh, you know, really Mark Saltzman, uh, our dear Judy McLean, who also mm. got a nomination, I believe it was for the Outer Critics Circle Awards. Uh, and so, um, so incredibly proud of her. But in, in just the, you know, these nominations and, and uh, uh, for Mark Saltzman, and it just goes to show the, the genius that he brought, the, the, the love that he brought for this show. Um, and we we could not we could not be proud of him. And with this, all of this came out, all of this love for him. Um, I, I, I hope it, there's I hope there's more. You know, like we say in there's in in our show. Uh, you know, I hope there's more. There's more <laughs> mm-hmm. that brings to him for this story uh, that comes to him for this story. Um, but yeah, sincerely hoping that. You know, we would we get back. You know, this happens, and we get back into the studio, and we and we make that cast album because it really deserves the love that it deserves. Um, uh, and and has been told by me, by my cast members, by this team, and by so many people that came to see the show and were just unexpected by it's uh, it's it, it, just the show. Just it's the beauty and it's fun. So you have uh, you're at UC Berkeley and you're studying pre law. Is that it? Yeah, yeah. I was um, I was a, a, a pre law undergraduate at Berkeley, and uh, in, in the mean, but in the meantime, you know, I I was developing as a as a theater student. I, mean, I I started doing theater when I was in elementary school. So for me, it was it was such a it was always there. It was my main life. But, you know, between high school and college, it was uh, there was this idea of going to New York and and uh, or, and just starting it already at that point. And I was, you know, I was 18 or so. And, uh, you know, I, my parents talked to me and they said, OK, we, we, we get that. Uh, you know, we all talked about how college was important. And he said, listen, you know, they gave me kind of an ultimatum, which I love. They said, listen, if you know, uh, Berkeley's on your list. And, and, and if you get into Berkeley, um, then you do Berkeley. (laughs) (laughs) If if you don't, we shall think about a situation with New York. Um, you know, going to New York at, at, at that time. And 
another one of those moments where, you know, you'd kind of drop your phone because it's unexpected. You, you were looking forward to it, but you got, got into Berkeley and I, I got through that. And, you know, it, it, it was if, as if it was, it was all planned out because that's, that last semester was, you know, it was that, uh, that whole thing that happened with the, the West Side Story film. And, and it was, it was, it was, if it was meant to be, you know, it was, it was starting to pull me into the, into the East coast uh, life, life, the universe was starting to pull me into the East coast. And, uh, that, that was that, but you know, I left my time in Berkeley and, and, and all the projects that I got, I did my first equity project out in the Bay area with a company called 42nd street moon. Oh, out in the hmm. San Francisco yeah. area. And yeah, they do old shows. They do. They do. Um, and, um, I mean, they do those classic shows that, you know, you've never heard of, um, but I'm sure you guys have heard all of them. Um, <laughs> Which ones you do? Uh, I've done, uh, I've done it, actually three projects with them. The first one I did, and, and that's where I met uh, a dear friend of mine, Emily Skinner. Hmm. How many Emily Skinner? She was doing, uh, she was playing the lead in Do I Hear a Waltz? Uh-huh. Hmm. Uh, she was just so brilliant at... Um, and uh, after that, I did something for the boys, uh-huh. which is a, such a, such a fun you know musical comedy. That uh, one has a cast album, doesn't it? It does. Are it you does. on it? I guess uh, you're I'm on not. It. That one was much. That one oh. was much earlier, I believe. Yeah, they, I would they, think so. Yeah, in the yeah. 1990s. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Oh, okay. It was another production. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was actually made by uh, by the cast that was uh, at the original cast. Mm-hmm. It was done at 42nd Street. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, and then after that, I think the following year, I did uh, um, The Boys from Syracuse there, uh-huh. uh, which is another uh, really fun production. But the last thing that I did there was um, Stephen Sondheim's Saturday Night, uh-huh. uh, hmm. which was, which was you know, watch, I learned so... I, I love Sondheim myself, but to, to do... I mean, it's considered his very first work work, mm-hmm. but at the same time, his very last, you know, because of the history. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Right. Good point. Passed away at the time and it never had it. Sure. So it's, it's, it's time to shine. Um, but to really see the difference between his early work and, and the Sondheim that we all know is, is truly fascinating. Um, but uh, I love singing one of its, you know, one of his, uh, I played the character Gene Gorman, and the, the the one who wants to live the high life, but uh, you know, just just living out at Flatbush and and, and really wants that that uh, that elite life, you know, out in Manhattan. But uh, he gets this really fun uh, solo number called Class, which uh, uh, which is just such a fun, which fun, such a fun ditty to sing. And, um, uh, perhaps Nikita is too modest to mention that's the lead. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was uh that that that's correct uh and that was my that was actually my first official equity contract which i was so excited about uh but yeah yeah that is that is indeed the lead uh but um but it but it, it was it was incredible and i i love all the work that i done with uh uh with 42nd street moon they they do but, but now they're uh under a new direction and i think they kind of kind of divide between more modern works and those that same ideology that Forty Second Street Mood stands by, which is, you know, doing really old shows that you know, uh, what people might have loved, but really were um, a ticket a ticket box, you know, failure 
in its time, uh, but still, um, still, you know, warms our hearts knowing that it exists and want to bring it back to life uh, for, for the, you know, for our audience here in the San Francisco. Uh, All right, Nikita. Um, yeah, I'm three or four times older than you are. But when I was growing <laughs> up, <clears throat> when I was growing up, um, a kid would not be named Nikita because that was the name of the premier in uh, communist Russia. Is it your real name? <laughs> that is that is my real name. Yeah, I was, um, uh, you know, if I'm if I may add, I, I, I'm not I wasn't born in the United States. And I, I immigrated here when I was about six. In fact, in July, it's going to be 20 years since I've been in the United States, which is a, you know, big, going to be a nice anniversary for me and my family. But yeah, I was originally born in, in a, in a country called Uzbekistan in a town called Angrien. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's where my family, my parents grew up there. And, uh, but yeah, my, my, we immigrated to the San Francisco Bay area in 2001 and, uh, uh, what, what, what was really, the reason I, for that? What was the motivation for your family to uh, do that? Well, you know, um, I think what a, was a lot of motivation. So my, you know, we always say that we were we're Russian. I mean, to to since we are Russian, and that's really where the name Nikita comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, it, it was it was fun fitting that in here because everyone is so associated with uh, Nikita being a, a, a girl's name, like you know, like Lafayette, uh. you know, or or the reboot revival TV show that came out later. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, I uh, I kept it to my you know I kept it to myself, and I was like, this is who I am. For a certain period of time there, I changed my name to Nick because I felt like it was more easier. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, you know, it's just so unique. I want to, I want to keep this name because, you know, there's, it, it, it's, it's hard enough to say my last name, you know, so many people change it from Burstein, you know, Bursteini to Bursteini to <laughs> you name it. <laughs> so when you say Nick and they're going to go, Nick who? Oh, it's just going to be another migraine because they're going <laughs> to keep going, well, <laughs> his last name. Yes, Michael and I can relate to this. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so there, exactly. So there you go. Um, but uh, you know, and I thought, as, and, and then in developing myself as an actor, um, you know, you start hearing about these stories of so many actors that decided to keep their original names. And I heard that you know Leonardo DiCaprio himself, for example, was told to change his name, but he didn't. And yet, you know, we don't. Mm-hmm. I quite have a problem with that. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to stick by it. But, uh, uh, but what prompted my parents, you know, uh, what I think prompted a lot of people in the 1990s to leave what was for, you know, what, what to them was formerly the Soviet union. Right. But then turned mm-hmm. into all these independent, independent nations and Uzbekistan was part of the Soviet union. And, uh, you know, you know, with the Piristroika that happened in the early 1990s and things like that, things, things are starting to change. And, um, uh, one by one, my, my family relatives on my father's side, uh, all started to immigrate to the United States. We were actually, my family, my immediate family were actually the last ones to immigrate because my, you know, my grandparents and, and, uh, my, my uncle and things like they were already starting to immigrate here in the 1980s, you know, early 19, like 1990s. And, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of what prompted that, but um, also, uh, you know, my, my mom's side of the family mostly lives in Germany. So it was actually a debate between whether uh, to Germany or uh, the United States at the time, 
But my my mother really wanted to bring my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, uh, to the United States, to wherever she was immigrating with her, and Germany didn't allow uh, um, my grandmother to come along with us. So, mm. uh, so U.S. of A. It was all uh, right. Um, culture shock when you got here. Um, did you well, take to it immediately? Um, I want to yeah. go home. What? Yeah, it was. It was a little bit of everything, but you know, I was just too too young to really have. I want to say a culture shock. Um, my brain was like a sponge, you know. I think I think I picked up English within a year. Wow, wow. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, you know how they say kids' brains are like a sponge. Sure, sure. Soak it, up mm. another, soak it all up so quickly, and um, because I think I was just so, I was already just surrounded by the culture so quickly. Uh, and that first year, of course, school was so rough because you, you really, uh, you have a teacher, you have a, you have a second grade teacher who just keeps trying to explain something to you and keeps talking to you. And, and, and I was a very emotional child. I would burst into tears very often. I, I won't deny that, but every day I would come out of the class crying because she would want something from me, but I just didn't understand what she was trying to say to me. You know? hmm. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, eventually we got through it. We, 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 we developed our English skills and then we kept going. And, uh, and, uh, it was actually in, in second grade, I started taking violin lessons, uh, but that didn't, as, as an extracurricular activity, but I really did that because I really loved the violin cases that all my classes mm. were walking around with. <laughs> Uh, I did, I did See, and, and with the mafia, of course, with violin you know, cases, you know, that's why you got Romeo and Bernadette. Now we know. Okay. It was that well, long it's, then. It's so funny. So my, I was just talking uh, about this recently, but um, my nationalities are so different. So on my mother's side, I'm, I'm German Korean. Uh, I want to say, I, 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 I say the word gypsy, but people say, want to see mm. Mm. Correct, and I believe it's the proper term now, and it's Romanian, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have gypsy on, on that side as well, and then uh, on my father's side, I am, I am a Russian Ukrainian. Uh, so, so uh, you know, this combination of German and Korean and Russian Ukrainian, it, it's you know, such a <laughs> such a such a mixing pot of so many things that uh, you know, when you arrive to New York and you start kind of start working in this industry that kind of a mix really turns you into uh, an Italian. Uh, <laughs> because, um, because my, my first, uh, you, you know, when things really kind of started picking up and my first two projects I uh, that were booked from New York were both Italian-Americans. That I was, before I was I started Romeo and Bernadette, I was supposed to do a regional contract uh, with, uh, of the land, the piazza out in mm-hmm. Florida with a company mm-hmm. called Palm, Palm beach drama works. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, so, so I, I booked that. And then just a few months later, I booked Romeo and Bernadette. And I just, I, I looked at my fia- uh, my girlfriend at the time, my, now my fiance. And I said, what is it? What is it about, uh, you know, the, the Italians that I keep, you know, <laughs> <laughs> One of the most hilarious moments in Romeo and Bernadette. I think you alluded to it earlier. Is when the uh, the uh, you know the Guido type uh, uh, guy from Brooklyn tries to teach you to speak uh, in that manner. <laughs> like, uh, like, like forget about it. You know, it's. Uh... <laughs> It's it's, it's uh, one of my favorite songs is uh, is um, the 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 guy the actor who plays my best friend Michael uh, uh, 
uh, Notar Donato. Uh, he, he, he kind of, he has that song that he, we have like a song between the two of us where he really tries to, to, to teach this, to this style uh, for me. And uh, the whole thing was just so, uh, was so, you know, micro uh, managed to, 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 to create because, it, it wasn't just him learning the ropes of how to speak that way, but there's a whole costume change in between that. If you remember, yes. Michael, and, and all of that, you know, trying to develop that with the timing. And it's like, you know what, uh, how do, how do we, you know, I would wear a cop piece, uh, pretty much almost the entire first act of the show, uh, or at least the first half of the first act of the show. And we are like, how do we, how do we develop a cock piece so as not to take, you know, 20 minutes to try to take it off? You know, the costumers, you know, uh, uh, that, you know, the team that we had just, you know, developing just kind of like a clip on situation. It was so much fun to just, just, you know, we're just, we're just going to find a way to just rip it off. And there it's, there it's going to be, like a band-aid and uh it was so hilarious to people that, that just there goes the this just yes. the people alone and brought so much humor but uh it, it's it was so much fun it was so much fun and i really hope that more people get to to see moments like this you know on a personal note we should mention that nikita is getting married yes yes uh, that's, kind of what I'm, that's what i'm kind of doing right now here in <laughs> Yeah, my my fiance Elizabeth Peterson. She's actually a, um, she's a dancer herself. She's been a Radio City Rockette for the past uh, eight years now. So um, so she's really uh, much before, and she's been working in New York much before I've started being here. But I, I'm you know I'm so incredibly proud of her. And uh, but um, you know she's just an incredibly talented dancer, and we met here in the in the Bay Area as well. There's a there's a beautiful outdoor amphitheater called uh, Woodminster uh, out on the Oakland Hills, and it's about a three thousand seater amphitheater. It was it's it's not uh, the Muni, and <laughs> of course, which uh, I've been told is actually I've heard you guys talking earlier is actually even twelve thousand. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if if uh, if because I've uh, uh, I've had a number of friends who work there and they told me that, you know, they say it's between 11, but it, but it goes even as high as 12,000, even <laughs> maybe even 13,000 because there's this extra spacing that they can create. Wow. Um, but uh, yeah, we were doing, I was doing a production of catch me if you can uh, out there. And, you know, there's this 19 year old kid playing Frank Abagnale, which is just, just mm. the biggest dream come true, especially when you're such a huge Aaron Tveit fan at, at the time. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, she, you know, we, we kind of, <laughs> we, we did that show together. The callback process was hilarious because everyone was talking about, oh, the Rockette is here. The Rockette is here. And, uh, and I said, <laughs> oh, that's, that's lovely, but um, I really need to focus on this callback and get this part. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but after that you know we just kind of started talking and we just clicked and yeah and it's um ever since then and and now we're, we're getting out we're getting married out in, in washington state so i'm very excited for that in august so that's where uh that's what we're doing right now wow that's great well Nikita, I want to thank you so much for joining us on Broadway Radio. It's been really wonderful to talk with us and appreciate you getting up a little bit early on your side of the uh, country to uh, chat with us. 
Thank you so much. It's such an honor for you guys uh, to, to have me as your guest. And I, you know, I love listening to you guys. And um, you know, I can't wait to listen for more. And, and um, thank you so much. Thank you so much. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something that only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone's online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know that there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part about it is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address that's shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, a phone, laptop, or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN in the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash broadwayradio and get three extra months for free. That's express, E-X-P-R-E-S-S, vpn.com slash broadwayradio. Go to expressvpn.com slash broadwayradio to learn more. And thanks so much to ExpressVPN for continuing to support Broadway Radio. All right, Peter, so you headed down to Sheridan Square and you saw a uh, world premiere of World's Fair Inn. Tell us about that. Yeah, this is a play by Randy Sharp. And as it was described, um, World's Fair Inn takes inspirations from the failures and genius of three men. The father of the atomic bomb, J. Robert Oppenheimer, American serial killer, H. H. Holmes, and fictional scientist, Victor Frankenstein. It's a tragically funny expedition of the subconscious of these three men and their three tragic personal lives. Well, um, okay. Uh, I can't say that I even understood that um, this was supposed to be uh, Oppenheimer and Holmes. Frankenstein, yeah. There was a lot about Frankenstein. And um, I guess that the other two guys who looked like Didi and Gogo in Waiting for Godot, Oh, God, oh, if you will, um, were supposed to be the others. But there was nothing that made that clear. I wouldn't have known that whatsoever. Um, it, absurdist comedy. OK, there's no question the absurdist style is here. And um, Randy Sharp knows it very, very well. You can tell that uh, it's the type of thing whenever the word Japan is mentioned, uh, everybody bows forward uh, in that way. I, I do feel that there was uh, a question that I guess many of us have asked, but I think it's an easy one to answer because somebody um, says, whatever happened to World's Fairs? You know, how come we don't have World's Fairs anymore? And I remember when that question occurred to me many years ago, 
And I realized, well, the reason is because we have a World's Fair every day in Disneyland and Disney World. I mean, they really are the World's Fair. And that's, I think, why we don't have them anymore. Anyway, um, I do think it was very, very well acted by a lot of actors who are brand new to me. Uh, Brian Barnhart, George Demas, John McCormick, Edgar Oliver and Brit. A uh, gentleman who's a woman, and um, I should make that clear. She comes on at the end. Um, it's um, not a show that's easy to understand. And um, I will say that as I left the theater, I did hear somebody say, well, if this is the type of thing that can be produced, then I'm going to start writing tonight. So if that's <laughs> that type of inspiration, uh, who knows what this show may lead to. But um, I wish I could be more enthusiastic, but alas, I cannot. Okay. Uh, Michael, you are getting geared up to head down to the Drama Bookshop, so tell us about that. Yes, it's very exciting. Uh, I'm going, um, I had made a reservation for the uh, day that, the first day that it will be open to the public, which is June 10th. Uh, they're, they're requiring reservations in the beginning because, you know, because of uh, social distancing and limiting the capacity uh, and uh, but then I also got uh, to go to the press day, uh, which is going to be on June 8th. So I'm looking forward to that. And it's really interesting. I'll just read a little bit from their website. Um, you should check it out, dramabookshop.com. Uh, founded in 1917 by the Drama League, the Drama Bookshop became an independent bookstore in 1923. And since that time has been deemed a quintessential New York City cultural institution. Over the past 100 years, the Drama Bookshop has secured its reputation as the city's best source for theatrical works with over 8,000 plays regularly in stock. In 2011, the Drama Bookshop received a Tony Award honor for excellence in the theater. Uh, and then it goes on to say the Drama Bookshop opened or is opening in its current home on West 39th Street in 2020 under new ownership. Longtime friends and patrons of the bookstore, Thomas Kale and Lynn Manuel Miranda, along with Jeffrey Seller and James L. Niederlander, purchased the store from Roxanne. Uh, excuse me, Roseanne Seelan, whose late husband, Arthur Seelan, had bought the store in 1958. Over the years, the store has moved several times, most recently located on West 40th Street. Uh, when the store opened there in December of 20, uh, 2001, a theater troupe from Wesleyan University, Backhouse Productions, founded by Kale, John Buffalo Mailer, Neil Stewart, and Anthony Veneziali, became the resident theater company. They convened downstairs in the store's 60-seat Arthur Seelan Theater, and in 2002, they began to rehearse a new musical, written by Mr. Miranda and directed by Mr. Kale in The Heights, went on to win several Tony Awards in 2008. So that the past location of the drama bookshop was the birthplace of In the Heights, which, of course, is now poised to become, uh, it seems like, the movie of the year uh, from from what I hear of the the uh, advanced word on it and also my own my own viewing of it. Uh, so I think that's all really exciting. And uh, you should definitely check out the the website to uh, I'm not sure how many, how long they're requiring reservations. It might just be for the first day. I'm really not sure, but you can check that out. And I'm sure uh, in, in the near future, at some point, you'll be able to probably just walk in and browse around and look and, and see what you'd like to buy <laughs> and uh, see the new location. So we'll have a link to the drama bookshops website 
in our show notes as well. And uh, there's the reservation system there as well, plus all sorts of other things. If you can't get to New York to shop at the drama shop in person, you can shop also through their website. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia? An offhand remark by producer Winthrop Ames made at the opening night of one of his out-of-town tryouts set in motion the wheels for Broadway to have one of its most durable musicals. Explain and give the name of the musical. Well, Ames' name was attached to 35 Broadway productions in the first 30 years of the 20th century. But his most con- biggest contribution to the theater occurred on opening night of the triad of a play called Old Man Minnick which was simply called Minnick by the time it reached Broadway. But as for the tryout, the show did not go well that evening. So Ames said at the party that next time he'd open a production on a showboat. One of the (laughs) authors of the play, Edna Ferber, who had written it with George S. Kaufman, had no idea that such a thing as a showboat existed, but was interested and then intrigued and then possessed. Her bestseller resulted in the first truly significant musical of the 20th century. And isn't it funny? that old man Minnick led to old man river. <laughs> so Steve Bell was the first to get it, followed by fall witty, Tony Janicki, Brigadude, who thanked me for returning to questions about musicals, uh, Joanna Abizi, Mike Meany, and Jack Leshner. Okay. This week's question. Uh, God, forgive me for this one. <laughs> On what original cast album? Well, almost original cast album and 99 and 44, 100% original cast album. Can you hear a woman who won one competitive Tony, but not for this show, a man who won a few Emmys as well as a man who won an Oscar. Hmm. Okay. If you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in uh, this week's musical moment? Well, if you go to YouTube uh, and type in Nikita Burstein, you will find lots of wonderful clips of him in various performances, everything from Newsies to uh, uh, he has a great um, duet of You're Nothing Without Me with Bryce Pinkham uh, that we're linking to in the show notes. I think we've actually had it before. He has a beautiful duet of uh, from Phantom of the Opera, the title song with Ali Ewold, who actually played Christine on Broadway at one point, and lots of lots of other really wonderful stuff. But I thought for our musical moment, I would choose his gorgeous performance of for forever from dear evan hansen which i guess he just recorded as a you know standalone thing in his studio because uh, i think it's beautifully done just one of his best performances of all and there again uh, a song from an upcoming film how exciting is it that we have these three major movie musicals about to open prepared to open dear evan hansen in the heights and um What's the third one? West Side Story? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now I'm calling you Rand Paul. <laughs> uh, I thought that was uh, the Texas governor. What's his name? That forgot the third. Yeah, exactly. yeah, that's Rand Paul. That, wasn't, that wasn't Rand. No, it was no, the Texas. no, Rick. Rick. Um, Rick, uh, Rick. So look, look who's yeah, talking. Governor yeah, Rick, uh, yeah, Governor Rick. Yeah. Governor Rick. What's his face? Rick Perry? Rick, Rick Perry. No, no. Rick, Rick Perry. Perry. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. right. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I knew it was that story. It just went out of my head. Sure. Anyway, um, yes. Uh, so please enjoy For Forever from Dear Evan Hansen. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radios This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Owning songs from my favorite bands, telling jokes no one understands except us two. And we talk and take in the view. All we see is sky for forever. We let the world pass by for forever. Feels like we could go on for forever this way. Two friends on a perfect day. about the things we'll do when we get out of school Bike the Appalachian Trail or write a book or learn to sail Wouldn't that be cool? There's nothing that we can discuss Like girls we wish we notice us but never do He looks around and says to me There's nowhere else I'd rather be And I say me too And we talk and take in the view We just talk and take in the view All we see is sky for forever We let the world pass by for forever Feels like we could go on for forever this way On a perfect day And there he goes Racing toward the tallest tree From far across the yellow field I hear him calling, follow me But there he goes Wondering how the world might look from up So I, one foot after the other One branch, then to another I climb higher and higher I climb till the entire sun Shines on my face And I suddenly feel the branch give way I'm on the ground My arm goes numb I look around And I see him come to get me He's come to get me Things okay. All we see is sky for forever. We let the world pass by for forever. But you and I for forever this way.